The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is Conspiranormal. All right, I'm ready to get started. Sounds good to me. All right. So welcome to Conspiranormal, guys. This is Adam, and uh, in the not too far away is my co-host here. Hey, just uh, across the river a couple times, I think. Yeah, yeah. You you haven't been going out too 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 much lately. We've been kind of practicing our own kind of like social distancing, but. Yeah, which- uh, which I'm okay with because I like to just research and do music stuff and uh, hang out yeah. in my basement by myself pretty much. Yeah, and I, st- <laughs> I still got to work, but <laughs> which, which you're working too, but you're just working from yeah, home. Yeah, I'm working from home. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm out there, man, still like, you know, being a road warrior or something. And we've got on the line the someone that is taking to the Thunderdome, yeah. I got uh, someone on the line that uh, is here in our local area, and uh, that's Angelia Shear, and she is the director of the tennis of the Tennessee chapter of MUFON, but she also has a book out called UFO Encounters: How High Strange Events Transform Human Perception. And uh, Angelia, welcome to Conspira Normal. Hey guys, I was excited to talk to you tonight. I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really great to have you. Um, I guess my first um, question for you is, you know, how did your, like your, your background and like your role as a MUFON Tennessee director, like how that all kind of started for you? Sure. Um, I'm kind of a strange girl, you guys. Um, My mother used to kid me when I was like five years old, I'm going to date myself. I watched the original Star Trek, and she said she would come down and find me crying and say, Ange, why are you crying? And I'd go, I love you, Mama, but I'm supposed to be on that starship. So both my parents (laughs) knew I was going to be a little bit of a different child. And also, um, you know, my father was a a teacher at a local university. And so I was really lucky. I was in an environment where um, I was educated very young about how immense the immense the universe was. We had discussions about, you know, other life. And so from a very 
young age, I was just, I was hooked. Anyone that knows me, um, my fiance, who's a musician, um, he laughs. He, she, he says, I can keep my mouth shut about it for about seven minutes. And then after that, there's, there's no going back. So I've been really obsessed with, you know, the study of other life, um, how that has affected humanity down through history, and then, you know, just humanity itself. So I've been probably doing serious research since I was about 18 or 19. I have my own private research group called Parachute Research. And again, I have a job in the real world. <clears throat> you know, this is, you know, I just was obsessed with this. I had enough good sense to know that I probably couldn't make a living doing this. So um, it just took off from there. You know, I've probably interviewed probably upwards to about 2,800 witnesses, I suppose. By this time, I've kind of lost count. And, wow. you know, the further, yeah, the further down the rabbit hole that I got, um, it just, you know, it was an education in itself. I probably read two or three books a week for years, math, science, physics, psychology, trauma, things about dissociation, um, because mm -hmm. I, where my research started to change, and I think you guys will like this, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was in my 20s, I had a case that was really defining. There was a group of witnesses on a beach having a beach party about 1030 at night. <clears throat> and at one point, four of the witnesses started seeing this UFO out over the water. And uh, no matter what they did, the other 10 could not see it. They were within 15 to 20 feet, 25 feet of each other. I mean, it wasn't a relational issue, uh, you know, that kind of perspective, you know, perspective issue. They just couldn't see it. And so a lot of my friends were professionals at that point. You know, they said, Ange, maybe this is just a common delusion. I said, you know what? I'm not buying that. People don't have the same delusion, not like that. They don't have the same exact hallucination. <clears throat> and so that just took me off, you know, in a different tangent because at that point I was convinced that these human beings were tapping into a greater degree of the electromagnetic spectrum at that moment than those other people were. And my research is held for probably now 35 years. Um, and it's been fascinating because not only, you know, have I got to study the UFO phenomena and, you know, and my team, we've seen some incredible things out in the field. Guys, I'm not an armchair warrior. We, I'm an old boots on the ground. Probably a month ago, I was in a, it was 29 degrees. I had waterproof boots on wading down a stream toward the mouth of a cave at in the pitch black with probably a thousand dollars of equipment with my team around our necks and we got to the mouth of this cave pitch black and the floor of the cave illuminated that's a whole other story but i want you guys to know i'm a real okay. boots on the ground girl you know yeah. we've been outside you know seeing a lot of crazy things but besides that you know when I was young and poor and didn't have, you know, money for great equipment and all this other, I did have a steady stream of witnesses that I could study over a long period of time. And man, this, it just, you know, this, these abilities in humanity just kept showing up. And so, you know, what I want to stress is it's so important, you know, to study the phenomena externally, but where so little research has been done is on the human beings, the people that are having, you know, these experiences over a long period of time. And I think that's where my research differed, you know, than most. Um, and it was really fascinating what I came around, away with on that. 
Yeah, I mean, you seem to really have a emphasis on high strange events and on you really emphasize states of consciousness. Exactly. Uh, probably, it's probably been 15 years ago now, maybe, but I was accepted at the Monroe Institute for 13 years in a row there. And if you don't know the Monroe Institute, you guys look it up. But Robert Monroe was a um, well-known businessman, you know, um, when he was probably in his late Oh, 30s, maybe early 40s, he started having out-of-body experiences. He thought he was going insane. Um, you know, he didn't know what was going on. So long story short, uh, he was very well-to-do, and he built a whole institute to study it, and he was kind of a virtuoso at this. And so the Monroe Institute, I can't say enough about it. I was uh, accepted there, studied, like I said, I think 13 years in a row, different programs from extraordinary with extraordinary people from around the world. And you guys can look it up. That place changed my life. It really showed me um, what humanity can do with some training. I mean, I was a meditator. Most people were. Man, that place accelerated my meditations probably five years at a time. You know, we were having experiences of telepathy between people. And these were real events. These were things I really experienced. I don't make things up. So it was, it was extraordinary. And then what I when I took what I learned there and, you know, back engineered some things, you know, it, it really spilled over with what was happening to my witnesses. And, you know, that that part is really poignant. Um, I think, Adam, you said you read the book and I'm glad you enjoyed it. But, you know, if you remember, I say my witnesses usually fall into two categories. Either they're born sensitive, meaning, you know, they come into the world just having all these, you know, different experiences or they're just going along. They happen to have some kind of high strange event. In my instance, usually a UFO, close range UFO sighting, just because I concentrated on that. It can be other things. And all of a sudden, their whole neuroanatomy is rewritten. And I mean that literally. Um, I have a, it's a very oversimplified model, but it's almost like if human beings can perceive channels one through 10, and again, this is very oversimplified. It's much more complex, but most sure. humans are are only aware of channels one through two or three. Then you get natural, sensitive, and psychics four and five. And then you go up the scale, you know, past a certain point, some things come naturally just because society, you know, pulls you up to those levels. And anything past that, either you intrinsically have it, born with it, or you train for it. And what we did at Monroe was train. And so what became glaringly clear, especially at Monroe, you know, we had certain um, – you know, we had to have a common dialogue. There we would say, we're going to go to focus 10. We're going to go to focus 13. We're going to go to focus 27. And it was amazing that as we would pass through these focus levels, that a lot of us would come back and report seeing exactly the same thing. Come on, people. You know, we saw the same trees, same lake, the same, you know, whatever happened. So, you know, I would work with my witnesses on this because, you know, the UFO phenomenon, it was such a mystery. You know, people have been pounding it down, you know, for a, a very long time, 50 plus years or more with the scientific model. And I'm not saying we shouldn't use that, but in some ways they're not any closer to the truth because they keep leaving out the human, you know, quotient in this. And so what I found is that you know, with my witnesses, I started to could see when they would change, you know, have these probably state, you know, different changes in their state of consciousness. And I made notes of that in the book. You know, I may, I'm really good 
you know, I can't get in out of the rain, but I have great pattern recognition. And I could start to make all these, you know, um, associations with patterns, like people would have a lot of experiences while driving down dark roads. Well, you know, you've been in the car, you're driving down dark roads, and you don't fall asleep, but you kind of get in that zone. Well, right. that zone right. that zone is you're, you change states. That's a state change. And what they taught us at Monroe was to really be aware of those state changes and not, you know, we used hemi-synchronization and we were in these kind of isolation chambers, dry chambers. But, you know, we were taught that to change our state that was kind of training wheels but then we were taught to go back and do it on our own and so when i work with some of my witnesses who are interested in this some of them are incredible what they can tap into um and you know that's what i'm saying that's the kind of sad part about all this is that you know human beings are pretty amazing you know i think in a way we've kind of all been taught to not think that to some degree but, you know, we can really develop some abilities. And so the slippery part of this UFO phenomena or cryptid phenomena or the paranormal phenomena, Adam, as you see in my book, it's all the same thing. You can kind of get a slight analogy <clears throat> if you think, well, on Channel 4, ghosts always show up. On Channel 5, the greys peek in. On Channel 7, Pleiadians come in. Channel 8, something else comes in. So... And then there are things that are right here in the same reality. So that's what I'm saying. It's not kind of an either or thing. It's, you know, it's much more complicated in that, if that makes sense. Um, it, it does make sense. And do you, do you see this phenomenon as more of, a, uh, of an interdimensional, using that channel analogy, do you see this phenomenon as more of a, of a interdimensional kind of phenomenon as opposed to something that comes from another planet or something like that? Well, see, that's where we have to be careful. And that's, and the only reason I say this is I'm very, my father and, you know, I had some really good teachers. We have to be really precise with language. I think it's really important. Words mean things. Like when I say paranormal, I always tell my, hey guys in the audience, my definition of paranormal is just something that our science doesn't understand yet. It doesn't mean a ghost. It means this whole group of phenomena. So I think for some of these changes that are happening to to human beings, we probably don't even have a word for it. I did a radio show, I don't know, a few months ago, and they said, Ange, we know you don't like to speculate, but what do you think's going on? And I said, well, this is what I kind of, this, from my experience, if you take Star Trek on steroids, (laughs) add in some interdimensional, some extra dimensionals, and possibly a spiritual war that's been going on for a long time. And that's, yeah. for me to say that, that's a lot. Um, you might get kind of close to the truth. I mean, it's not a black and white phenomena. Yeah. You know, I tell people, I said, look at our planet. Look at all the different kinds of humans, races, cultures, religions, political agendas. Now spread that out over an infinite universe that you know, just like in our Milky Way galaxy here, like I said, we're all kind of in that same, you know, frequency realm. But when you take that beyond that, we have no idea what can exist. I told someone the other day, you know, we don't think anything about walking, you know, we walk through three-dimensional space like it's nothing. Well, just think about beings that were born that walk through time. We don't think of that because we don't do that very good. We do it yeah. over a, you know, a consecutive period of years and days. But, you right. know, there could be beings that could just travel through time 
in their own bodies and that's not a big deal to them. So I think as we grow up and, you know, start to think about some of these problems, we really have to kind of think outside the box a little bit. And that's really hard to do. Yeah, it's it it can be understandable to somebody because a lot of people are kind of set in like this one paradigm or this paradigm and they don't want to kind of combine and look at all the other paradigms. I mean, I think we're kind of dealing with different kinds of phenomena, but yet at the same time, we're kind of dealing with the same kind of phenomenon in some ways. Well, that's what I tried to write about in the book. I mean, you know, if you think about it with this model – these things are around us all the time, just like our cell phone signals are flying around us all the time. Right. You know, I mean, but you don't get that unless you have the cell phone exactly calibrated right. I mean, you know, things are zooming around. You know, I was talking to someone, not to, I don't know, it was a while back, and they said, well, I don't know about believing in something I can't see. And I said, well, gamma radiation, you can't yeah. see. Radiation, you can't see, but it'll surely, you know, affect your life. And, you know, <clears throat> there's just exciting there's just so much excitement to me about this about human potential because also what i found is that when you get people together <clears throat> that have this kind of high energy or perception going on and you know it's just like adam you're burning as a log and i'm burning and sephirel he's burning and you put us together and this bonfire happens um, wow when a lot of us would get together we would have some really incredible things happen at times yeah. Yeah, it's like the kind of like the combined energies and the there's also you know like you say like the I think I think the witness is the most important element to any of these kind of sightings or any of these experiences because it's just the whole idea, you know, I attribute this to you know Greg Bishop talks about the co-creation theory and the idea that we kind of co-create these experiences with these entities, I guess, for lack of a better term. Well, that's, I mean, you know, you have, you know, tonight we couldn't do the radio show without you guys. I I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we're all in this together. And, you know, that's what's pretty incredible about all of this. I mean, you know, there was some really interesting analogies I was able to make. Uh, I'm pretty sensitive myself, but I've been working on that. I've raised horses for, you know, like, 38 years and you know you have to be really sensitive you know I can feel their heartbeat and you know what foot's on the ground if my eyes are closed you know I mean you really have to be in tune or you'll be hurt it's not magic it's just studying Mm -hmm. Um, so you know with human beings um, these abilities it's amazing that some people are so sensitive and they don't even know they're changing channels does that make sense or you know i tell people this is very complicated you know and again this is probably another book because i just wanted to put my basic ideas out there is that say you guys were studying and we're aware of channel three and then channel four and then channel seven and channel eight well we get so complex after a while we could be aware of all those channels at one time Yes. So yeah. growth, you under yeah, growth is not just incrementally one channel at a time, but eventually, you know, you're aware of a whole spectrum of things, and then you know, of course, complexity goes from there. So 
Yeah, that's why my witnesses were so important to me. And then, you know, I'm kind of a warrior chick, too. And I did not like <clears throat> my witnesses being made fun of. You know, mm -hmm. I actually have in conferences, you know, I've had people approach me. I had one little family. I'll never forget this. And it was a daddy, two teenage boys and mama. And I could tell mama wanted to tell me something. The others were kind of smirking. So they came and told me. She told me what happened. And I looked at the man. I said, is this your wife? And he said, yes, ma'am. It's the South. And I said, has this woman ever lied to you? He said, no, ma'am. I told her, boys. I said, boys, has this woman ever lied to you? No, ma'am. I said, why in the world then would this woman make up a story so you guys could make fun of her for the rest of the life? I said, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, and right. I said, you know what? This phenomena that she's talking about, I've seen it many times. It struck someone that I know very well. And I said, so this could be dangerous. And I said, so I think you guys need to believe her and listen to what she says. I've, I've heard so many stories by now doing this radio show and being a part of other radio shows and listening to podcasts where, where, where the focus is personal stories that I really kind of believe that you've got to take those stories. You just got to say a face value and just say, well, you know, that this is what happened to this person. Now, what that means could be a whole totally different thing, but um you know, it's it it is something that the person experienced, and it was very real, and it was very visceral for them. Exactly, and you know, I even studied schizophrenia for a little bit. And I'm not going to make a I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to make a broad spectrum statement about this. But sometimes I've wondered. I remember I came across a really interesting study that said that was it, this. I don't think they do this anymore, of course. But one of the earlier treatments for schizophrenia was to put someone into a ice bath and you know studying all my energetics here and you know you know human beings emotional energetic systems around their body well what that what would that do to you guys it would cause your energetic um feel to shrink you you, you contract and it made them lucid and i thought oh my god wonder if schizophrenics to some degree are hyper expanded yeah. so they're aware of like all these multiple channels and guys can you imagine if you were locked in a room and 200 TVs were playing constantly yeah. and you could never turn them off that's what would drive you crazy right. and so i often wondered if some schizophrenics they just had a malfunctioning filtering system yeah. which like is their unfortunate. tuners <clears throat> yeah their tuners they just can't the yeah, the whole idea yeah, that, that if you take a schizophrenic and put them in a different culture, they might be a shaman or something like that. Well, you know, they just, I think sometimes they might have a mechanism that they can't stop it. And, you know, working with a lot of sensitives, I've been around some incredible people. And, you know, a lot of people say they're psychic and they're not. I'm a better psychic. But I have been around people that when I say they're extraordinary, Angel Lee is a friend of mine. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of her, but she is extraordinary. She gives you names, people. I mean, she has described some things that I, for me, I was shocked. And so, you know, you really, like he was saying, it, it, it's amazing that she can do that. But my sensitives, we always say, we trained at this at Monroe. We train, train, train. You have to have a way to go in and come back. You know, a way to ground, turn it on, turn it off. Let me ask you this real quick about kind of like the dual role that you have as the director of MUFON and then mm -hmm. as the as the head of the uh, parish year research. Um, how do those kind of like two roles differ and how do they kind of intersect for you? 
That's a great question. I appreciate that. Well, again, I'm a UFO girl. I really love the study of that. But um, probably about five years ago, Jan Harzen, the the executive director, who's just a wonderful man, I just love him to death, um, he called me and he said, you know, we had the, the past director was my friend and he, you know, passed away. And he said, Ange, I'd really like you to take over, you know, director of MUFON. And I said, well, Jan, I'll be happy to do it. I'll follow all your rules, which are great rules. Um, you know, but as long as I can keep my private thing going on. And he said, oh, that's perfect. So I kind of say I have two hats, you know, when I'm doing MUFON, uh, the director of MUFON, you know, again, we mainly focus on UFO sightings, anomalous lights, you know, that kind of thing. We do have an ERT team, experiencers research team uh, that works with MUFON that, you know, helps people that are having, you know, some extraordinary, what we think maybe, you know, other kind of interactions with things. Um, so really, it hasn't, you know, been difficult at all. It's been wonderful. I kind of have the best of both worlds because I love MUFON. MUFON's been great to me. Um, when I took over MUFON, <clears throat> we really, there was no infrastructure. So I'm really proud of my team. I mean, I, we built every website. We built every, you know, we put together all the meetings. Um, my core star team, you know, our, when my right-hand man is Don Williams. He's an ex-military guy, pilot. Uh, we've had extraordinary ventures. My assistant state director is Josh Cross. He's a paramedic. I've lost count at how many lives this young man has saved. He's awesome. Uh, one of my newest members, he's a federal investigator, um, so talented. He worked on the space shuttle Challenger crash, and the list goes on. I have other team members, ex-Army. Um, so we're pretty serious team. You know, we don't goof around. You know, we're professionals. We, we try to be. Um, I'll tell you all a story later about even... And the professionals get, you know, bowled over at times. But um, so I'm really proud of that team. It's a lot of hard work. Um, I did. I have a YouTube channel. I just started because people started asking me to. And I did a video on there called Transforming Lights. If you guys haven't watched it, you should watch it. But and it's kind of a, a little documentary on what it's like to be a true field investigator, how much time, work, equipment, blah, 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 going out in the field. And then I actually show you a video that was sent that I think to this day is extraordinary from a witness. So MUFON, I love MUFON. How my parachute research um, differs is at parachute research, I can study whatever the heck I want. <laughs> you know, if I get a cryptid sighting, if I get, you know, I've done some work up at Octagon Hall, which I just love, Barry Gaunt, everybody oh, yeah. up there is my family. Interesting yeah, place. You know, oh my gosh, when I first went up there, guys, I was very skeptical. You know, I thought, you know, everyone kept saying, oh, you know, all this is going to happen. And, you know, not saying that things don't happen, but usually things don't happen that much. You know, people, we have a lot of sitting and waiting. It's kind of boring at times. But I went up there in the first night. I got, I hit on my floor camera. I, I was like, and it, this entity appeared, and Bear up there says, hey, how are you? Can you wave at us? And on my floor camera, this arm comes up and waves. I was like, what? <laughs> so I am just interested in all this. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I got invited to speak at a Bigfoot conference, and I thought, oh, my gosh, what is this? Not that, you know, I didn't think that could be possible, but, you know, I'm I'm still a skeptic. And, to, you know, i got to look at all the facts. And so I went up and you know, spoke. And, you know, I told these guys, I said, guys, I'm not a Bigfoot girl. They go, we don't care. We know you. Just come talk about UFOs. And I fell in love with these guys. I mean, these were real dudes, you know, just 
just like I'm a horse girl out in the woods, these guys, you know, had jobs, but something had happened to them and they'd been hunting. And to this day, I met one of my best friends, <clears throat> Matt Delph, uh, just a great, great integrity, great guy. And when he, you know, he's in his 40s now, but when he was 19 or 20, he was out deer hunting and guess what came out of the woods and threw a stick at him. And he goes, guys, I could track any animal. I know what anything is. He goes, that scared me to death. And for me to stand in front of these big old boys that had a gun since they were four and don't believe in any of this crap, as they say, <laughs> and they tell me they were scared to death, you better believe something happened to them. So, you know, I'm fascinated. There's crossovers in all of this, you know, even in the Sasquatch Bigfoot thing. There's a lot of paranormal things that happen. I have another team. I won't mention their names, but it took me a little while to break into them in the team when I say that, because I understand, you know, there's a lot of bickering. I don't go for that drama stuff. But I said, guys, are you taking field notes? And I said, listen, there's some common denominators here while you're in the field I want you to look for. I said, do you ever see these orbs of light up in the tree? And then you get a hit on your floor. I swear, three weeks later, they're out in the field. They go, these are my calls. And they're in the trees and we got a hit on the floor. I said, Write it down, okay? There's a correlation between those things. So, yeah, so that's mainly how they differ. Just with parachute, I can, you know, just be a kid and go off and study whatever the heck I want, you know, what comes along. And with MUFON, I stick with MUFON and we study the UFO phenomena. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the, some of the cases that you talk about in the book. And I've got a few written down here. That uh, all this stuff is like all these cases are like really fascinating. There's one that's like <laughs> one of the most fascinating cases I think I've ever I've ever seen. Um, and I actually saw you give a talk about it uh, there in uh, Knoxville at the Alien Expo last year. But um, I, I wanted to talk first of all though about the peaking aliens one, and this <laughs> is the one specifically where the guy mentions owls in relationship to it yes well you know mcclellan i think i have his name right he wrote a whole book about that which is really interesting so you can check oh, that yeah. out the yeah, listeners we've had, yeah. we've had mike we've had mike on a mike, couple times. oh yeah i don't yeah. know him personally but i enjoyed that book well you know the what he mentioned i don't know if you guys you know i had to do the book in black and white just for cost reasons but that painting that my witness did the actual cover of my book was done by the great claudio bergman i just love claudio he did um travis's work and whatever but it was we talked about that artwork it it was a compilation you know taken from you know witness sightings and the main inspiration was from peaking aliens and because my witness had hand watercolored this drawing of what he saw and then if you notice and i wish y'all could see it it was beautiful blues and you know it was really i had to do it black and white but and down there it says you know and i wouldn't feel i can't remember what it says strange about but why do they look in the window or something the owls or something and so there's always there's you know there's been for years as everyone know that's in this a correlation between owls peeking in the window, you know, or a deer, you know, with big eyes looking in the window, almost like those are oh, yeah. some kind of, you know, shadow or, you know, implanted images, that kind of thing. So, um, 
when this witness first called me, I was just so taken by his sincere, generous nature. You know, this happened when he was young, 13 or 14 or so, and he's in his 20s now. But I was so taken with his demeanor. I got the team together. I said, we're going to go. We're just going to have a fun day. We're going to meet this guy, go down there and just see what we can get into. So it was a wonderful day. Went down um over it's in Clinton, that area, and we went down to the river. Clint, I think it's Clinch River. There was a witness. Evidently, we couldn't find him. Um, Sixteen years old, that uh, he had been fishing over by the estuary, and said that he saw some entities, three of them, um, that were very similar to what my witness saw. And so, when my witness was thirteen, he was staying at you know a family member's house, and he looked out. He was coming down the hall. He looked out the window, and there was these three aliens, what he thought, staring in the window. One had kind of a long, skinny neck. The young man described the same thing. And in the next chapter, Peking Aliens 2, that came to me shortly after that. This is how crazy all this is. She had three aliens peeking in the window. Well, why three? But anyway, um, so we get down there. You know, we're doing our investigation, and... All of a sudden, we're outside, and Josh, I think he had our field meter. We were doing a magnetic field sweep. Just, you know, people think, oh, it's a ghost detector. No, it's not. It only affects magnetic anomalies. That's it. And But sometimes, you know, a magnetic shift is in possible indication of maybe a high, you know, phenomena area, not just, you know, um, normal magnetic fluctuations are normal, but sometimes I've found that if you get a magnetic field that just holds steady for a while, that's more unusual, and that sometimes is indicative. So we were having a few little fluctuations here or there, nothing too telling, and Josh was just going around the property, and in his pocket, he had what we call the uh, bug detector. And a bug detector, it it's we don't use that on biologics usually. We take that inside the house and we sweep the house for, you know, listening devices. It's it's a it's a bug detector. It's, you know, um calibrated to the major cellular frequencies. And so he had just turned it on, calibrated it, put it in his shirt pocket because he was gonna sweep outside and go that was his job that day, and then go inside. Well he got around this tree, the first thing that was strange, and the bug detector went off. And he did it like three times, and he finally called me over. He said, Angela, why don't you come look at this? And I th- went over there, kept going off. And it was about four and a half feet up the tree in this really almost looked like the tree trunk had been tampered with. But, you know, it's hard to tell with t- tree bark. And we actually found that it seemed to be emitting some kind of frequency that this thing picked up. And then we found two other trees that actually triangulated around the house, which was like, What? You know, this thing is not even supposed to pick up biologics, and, you know, it's it's reading some kind of emission off this tree. I even, guys, I studied for two months, can trees, you know, have, you know, put off some kind of, you know, signal, <laughs> right. especially in this, and you know they can. Uh, it was interesting, in the spring, they do have this kind of communication, you know, it's a natural thing, but it's not in that cellular bandwidth. You know, I was even studying that. People don't realize what you do researching, you know. I was like, oh, my God. Couldn't couldn't figure that out. So anyway, we were just left scratching our heads because I've been outside forever and I'd never had that happen. And 
it probably wouldn't happen unless Josh had had that in his pocket. So anyway, we're, you know, we sent the drone up because they had seen some, you know, orbs and things. And we got some nice pictures with the drone. You know, it's, it takes a lot of time. And so we were fishing up. It was probably 1030, 1045 at night by this time. I was inside talking to a family members, thanking them for letting us tromps on their property all over the place. And Josh comes running in and he goes, you got to come out here. And I said, well, what's going on? He goes, I want to try something. I thought of something. This is why a team is so important. So I said, okay. So I went out there and he had the little bug detector and he said, and I want to calibrate this and uh, put it up on his nose. And the witness had told us that since he was a young kid, that he had had reoccurring nosebleeds. So I said, well, are you okay with that? He said, yeah, let's go for it. So we calibrated it. We tested it on. There was quite a few people there. He had some family members because, you know, everybody was curious there. And there was probably about six or seven of us at that point. We checked it on us. Nothing happened. He put it up to the right side of his nose. Meh. I mean, off the scale. Just went like, off. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. I said, what? This should not go off on a biologic, on a, a human living. This is calibrated to cellular frequency. <laughs> So we recalibrated second time. We were like, okay, you know, scientific. In our little, we try things three times. We tried it the third time, guys. I have this on video because I was videoing the thing outside. His nose started pouring blood. I mean, you can't even make that up. It's like the thing activated something. I, and we had to stop because his nose was bleeding so bad. We had to go get towels and, you know. And at the end of the video, you hear my witness go, well, I guess we just stir, stirred up the hornet's nest. And, guys, this is what you guys are going to love. This is how paranormal components creep into these things that you can't explain. We were standing outside on their, you know, on their driveway up close to the house, and they have like a security light out there, you know, like a little street light. At the moment his nose started bleeding, that light went out. Mm. And wow. I told him, I said, Does that ever happen before? He goes, No. So, you know, we had like a five-hour drive home that night, and all of us were a little freaked out after that. I mean, we were, even us, we were like, what the heck? And then even after that, in the days and weeks that followed, we started getting strange phone calls. Um, <clears throat> you know, at one point, I was out to lunch, and I came back to get in my, my phone started ringing as I was trying to get in my car, and you know, I got a purse and a briefcase, and I thought, well, I'll just get in my car and get going, then I'll call whoever it was back, so that was less than a minute or so, I got in the car, and as soon as I called it back, it went, me, this number has been disconnected, and it's no longer in service, and it just called me, well, then my witness started calling me and saying, you know, hey, we're getting all these strange phone calls. We don't, you know, we don't know what they are. And and at one point he called me pretty freaked out that a black SUV followed him. And I said, well, you go to a police store, I mean, police store, you go to a police station, you go to a drive-in store, you go right now to where there's other people. And I didn't hear from him for about 25 minutes. I was sweating it, but he was fine. He got home and nothing happened. But, you know, there's strange things that happen around this stuff for sure oh yeah yeah that that almost sounds like some like men in black type of phenomenon but it can it can we've been seeing lately how that type of men in black phenomenon happens with all kinds of different high strange stuff from bigfoot to oh, to you absolutely Ab absolutely 
Absolutely. So, I mean, when I was younger, and this is years ago, because I think we're in a, a, I really do believe we're in a, a point for me to say this of soft disclosure. I've never heard the government admit they're UFOs. They are. They let a pilot talk about his, you know, footage and, you know, show, it was actually on Tucker Carlson, which was shocking. And NASA came forward and said, oh, guess what? A couple of years ago, we found exoplanets that are really similar to Earth, pretty much saying, you know, filled with life. So, you know, but years ago when I was younger, my phones were tapped. I'm sure of it. It got to be a joke. I mean, wow. um, my mail was opened. I remember I had a letter that was about UFOs opened. It was taped back together. <laughs> And it was stamped, opened by the U.S. Postal Service for inspection. Really? Do you have it? Take a picture of it. I have that somewhere. But I actually made an appointment with the U.S. Postmaster downtown Nashville and took it to him. And I said, listen. (laughs) And that's back when people would actually talk to you. He said, I'll guarantee you we didn't open that. I mean, so, you know, and I tell you, I used to laugh and say, you know, if there's nothing to this, why would anyone pay attention, you know? Why, why would anyone watch us or, you know? Let's talk, a, I'm going to talk a little bit about the missing time cases. And uh, the one that we could talk about, uh, well, let's just get into this one because this is like the biggest case in the book. Like, this is, <laughs> this is some crazy stuff. And this is what you call the case of Witness J. Strange case of Witness J. Yep. That was a, guys... I can't, you know what, you can't even make this stuff up. You know, for my audience out there, a short recap, um, great family, well-to-do family, um, mama, matriarch, intelligent woman, um, had a, you know, she had a military contracting clearance. She's in her 70s and carries her 45 with her everywhere she goes. She didn't believe any of this crap. Um, that was what was great. Um, dad, the father dies. The son decides to come home, help mom close down the farm. He was out in the, it's not really a barn, but it was a big metal outbuilding, you know, inventorying dad's gear, you know, tools, tractors. And April and um, early, probably early April, it was still chilly at his coat on. And while he was going through things, this is important because this is why this happened. He found a little nest of baby birds and ran the mama off by accident, and he'd been feeding them. And so he took his camera out to video the baby birds because, you know, his mom and him had coffee in the morning. He was going to show it to her. Not that she couldn't walk out there, but it was just something to do. So he filmed them. He thinks he turns his phone off. He puts it in his little pocket. He goes, and he never goes anywhere without his sidearm ex-military guy and he goes Angela had this weird compulsion to go to the side door of the barn so he walks over there there's big this tool this tool table guys is I don't even know how much it weighs I'm not a very good judge of it but you know it's a big wood slab you know what I'm saying with big heavy you can't even move this thing and so he said I approached the door I took my phone out turned it upside down took my side arm off set it on the table he goes I'd never do that and he goes, but I didn't even think about it. He opens the door, sees a bright flash of light. Next thing he knows, he wakes up 80 feet away from the barn, has no idea how he got there. Doesn't know what time it is, doesn't know anything. He goes inside. His mom's kind of sitting up in the bed, um, kind of in this trance-like state. He didn't know what was going on. He finally wakes her up. Mom, what time is it? She says it's after three. He flips out. The last thing he knows, it's it was 11.15 or so. We, I, I don't know the time stamps in here. I'd have to go back and look. But it, it was a good bit, bit of time. 
he flips out. He actually says, I threw my keys across the room. And he said, you know, I was raised to respect my mom. I didn't throw them at her. I was just, you know, really upset. Well, mom, being as who she is, which I love, she thinks that he's been mugged out there in the barn, even though they live way out in the country. She makes him take his shirt off, and she starts taking pictures. And y'all see the pictures in the book. He's got these burn marks behind his ears, it looks like, this grid mark on his head. He's got puncture marks, you know, on his side there. And so she's snapping pictures right after this happened. This never happened. I mean, this, you know, this is, oh, my God, to one percent chance of happening it just doesn't happen this way usually so you know she you know he is flipping out you know she wants to call the sheriff's department she goes you know son maybe someone has you know done something to you and he said she said were you drinking out there and he doesn't he said Ange, i might have had a couple of beers he said mom it couldn't be that i, I it wasn't that so anyway it took you know he was dying of thirst which is interesting and craving salt which is a common thing and he, she finally gets him calmed down you know he just finally gives up and goes to sleep he plugs his phone in he doesn't even think about it next day he's helping her on the farm so he goes out the tractors and he's doing farm work doesn't think about it he comes home that night he plugs his phone in and he found that when he thought that he turned his phone off, he didn't. And the phone was still, even though it was upside down, we didn't get video, but we got two hours and 20 minutes of the craziest audio you guys have ever heard. You just, I mean, had, like a, you just had like a black screen with like the audio. Yeah. 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 And at first you hear the radio playing in the workshed because he had it on. He doesn't remember turning it off. It, the radio plays about 20 minutes. And then all of a sudden the radio goes off and then you just, it's another two hours of, of, you know, you hear him struggling, you hear him cursing, you hear him moaning. At one point, he sounds like he vomits. I'm not sure. And then you hear other voices. You hear what sounds almost like a feminine voice. And then you hear what sounds like a non-human voice. I mean, it literally goes, I mean, I've got that. It's on one of my sites. I, did, I pulled a clip out of it for people. So weird. We, yeah, we wow. did that on KGRA. I know we did it on a, a radio where they actually had some audio engineers that took part of the audio and we played it for the audience. And, I, I, you know, a lot of people called in and said they felt really weird about it. But <clears throat> so, yeah, that case just got stranger. I mean, and this is an, another, a, this case is a classic example of what I'm talking about where you have one huge paranormal event and then all hell breaks loose, excuse my language, meaning instead of just getting channel one, you got channel one through eight going on all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. And after that, so many things started to happen to this family. And since they were, you know, they had the funds to do it, they bought this really expensive, you know, security system with cameras on the inside of the house. And, you know, at one point you we got it. It's in my lecture. You see this orb, you know, flying through the house. It's not a dust mode. It's self-illuminating, pulsing as it goes, you know, through the living room and out the window. Um, it's amazing. At one point, um, he, you know, this is where my witnesses, the ones that really get interested in transforming, what I say, you know, they deal with their fear um, and they move on. He bought, you know, all this equipment, you know, to, to study these phenomena. He captured this UFO that hovered over his house. I mean, it was incredible. It was just blinking like crazy, you know, and I want to say something about that, you know, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm not saying this is a law, but the, when I deal with people after, you know, 
35 years of interviewing people, you get a feel, you know, you know what I'm saying about what's going on. And most of my witnesses that have had true events, they don't want it to be true. Literally, my witnesses, maybe I have a brain tumor. Deb Jordan, who's one of my best friends, she's the subject of Bud, uh, Bud Hopkins' book, Intruders. One of the, you know, it's a classic thing that she said, Doc, I don't care if you tell me I'm crazy because at least they have a pill for that. You know, my witnesses don't want this to be true. This is horrifying to a lot of them, meaning their whole world paradigms are changed. Even Witness Jay, he went paranoid for a while. He called me and asked for every piece of evidence to be given back to him, and I gave it back to him. Now, he, he came around, but, you know, he just, he said, and these helicopters are flying over the house. And, and you know, one thing else I wanted to tell you guys about this, it, you know, I did my investigation on a, the first investigation with Witness Jay on a Friday. I give my witnesses about 48 hours to settle in. I tell them that, you know, there's rules of engagement, but as long as we all follow the rules, you know, I will not abandon you. They need to hear that. I said, if something else happens and you're really freaked out, you, my phone's right here. You call me. He goes, no, no, no. I just feel better that you came. You know, we actually had a fun day. We went out on the four wheelers and, you know, I, I was glad to see that they could talk about it. Um, but 48 hours later, I called him on Sunday evening and I, you know, I said, listen, I just want to check with you. You know, I told him I would. And I want to ask you if anything unusual happened over these last 48 hours. And he said, Ange, there has been like 30 helicopters fly over our property. And guys, I live in South Nashville in a no-fly zone. And over that weekend, over 30 helicopters flew over my house. You guys would laugh at me. I look like an idiot. Really? I had a journal, and I would run outside with my binoculars. Anytime, boom, 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 you know, you can hear them coming. <laughs> I would run outside as fast as I could to journal what time, if I could see any insignia. And guys, have you ever run outside with binoculars and try to get a helicopter in the binoculars? You know, <laughs> it is not easy. You know, people go, well, you should be able to see something. Well, I challenge everybody to go out and try to do that. I mean, it's a challenge just to get it in the binoculars, especially when they're moving on. And, you know, I couldn't find an insignia. My, you know, with Don being a pilot, um, my grandson, he's a great pilot. I called him. We tried to track down, you know, um, airports where these the flight plans could be. We couldn't find anything. And that's what I'm saying. He had 30 or more fly over his farm. And here they were going over my house, 2 o'clock in the morning, 1 o'clock, you know. So you start to get all these other strange phenomena going on. That was something I was going to ask you about the specific case is that there seemed to be – because he he sees helicopters, I believe, like like you can hear helicopter sounds in the in the video or the audio. Is that correct? Well, you know that's where we have to be careful. It yeah. it's you know I mean guys, I've listened to this thing for three years. We've even you know with Dale with being a musician, he's taken it to the studio with a couple of guys, and you know we pull some you know we kept of course the original but we tried you know pulling out certain frequencies and messing with it you know we had to clean it up a little bit to hear some of this stuff but there is a part that it does sound like something goes boom 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 you know what i mean and so all of us go to that you know that it sounded like a helicopter coming in but you know we don't know that for sure but it, it's definitely one of the most extraordinary pieces of evidence i've ever had and it, it makes you, and oh, there's another thing in there, you know, after studying it, there's a, a metronome-like ticking. It goes. Yeah. 
And I thought, well, at first, you know, this is must be an artifact because he had an iPhone. It must have been an artifact of the iPhone. Guys, people don't, real investigators, you don't know what we did. I mean, we did everything in the world to try to recreate that. We turned the, we put the video on, we turned it upside down, we got 10 feet away from the phone, 15 feet away from the phone, 25 feet, you know, we measured all this. How good could you hear? How, you know, if we were moaning, you know, we tried to do all these recreations and we could not recreate that ticking and did, even did in it have the, a rhythm to it oh yeah it sounded like a metronome you know it's i mean it was steady you know at some point in that uh audio you hear it almost sounds like a low frequency comes in on it you know like what is that you know that change so it was it was an extraordinary case we're still really great friends you know they're they're my family we um it was interesting we got together i don't know a few months ago and did a night um investigation out on the farm together and you know we just have fun we you know we brought in some food and you know and sat around and that that evening when we were packing up the truck to go back into the back pastures that they have it was one of the strangest things i've ever seen this flock of birds came in and guys when i say a flock of birds i mean it was twenty thousand birds i've never and they were swirling around our head and i got my camera out immediately because i thought here we go and it was almost like these birds disappeared into this tree near where the barn is. And then my camera completely went white as I was filming. And the, the sun wasn't up. It wasn't, you know, like a um, lens flare or anything like that because the, the sun was already, you know, down enough. It was light, but it was completely down behind the horizon. And we were like, what in the world? It was like those birds entered that tree and disappeared, 20,000 of them or something, and then came out again. And, you know, I'm very skeptical, but there was something really, and we looked at each other and we go, here it goes, you know, we're together again and here the strange stuff starts. Do, so, do you know anything about the, like, the history of the land? Yeah. Like what, uh, you know, we looked did, into that. Were there I think any there, Indian and, mounds? Yeah, there? <laughs> there was no mounds that I know about. But you know, there is a correlation to all that. I'm, you guys are wonderful. You, yes. I mean, there is a there is a correlation to that somehow for sure. So, I, I think I even asked you. I might have even asked you in Knoxville about if it was close to Adams, but I don't think it was. I think it was on the <laughs> other side. Of course, Adams being the Bell Witch area. I don't, you know, you'll have to educate me. This was up more toward Millersville, uh, okay. that area. I'm not sure where Adams is. I think that's not that close, but. Um, yeah, that's kind of on but that side. I think it's yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, but it but it is up, up north, more north like that. Right, right. So, you know, it's, you know, I love it, guys. I will love this till I fall over. I mean, um, it's just, it's just amazing you know, what my team and I have experienced, what we've seen, that yeah. uh, video I told you guys, the uh, transforming lights, um, I captured an entity out in the woods, not far from us on my FLIR camera, and it was signaling us, and I'm not exaggerating, and it wasn't blurry, it had arms and legs, mm -hmm. and it was like five feet, 10 or 11, and it, we didn't feel threatened at all. It was just like, it really seemed to be trying to get our attention. Um, so I don't know. I think, how can you not be interested in all this? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Since <laughs> we're kind of talking about it, I mean, as the MUFON director for Tennessee, do you find anything different or special about, about Tennessee and about this area that you've done most of your, I know you've done most of your research here, but 
Is there something you think about it or do you have a special kind of uh, insight into the area? Well, one thing I can tell you for sure, Tennessee is a hot spot and so is Kentucky. Uh, I'm really great friends with Barry Gaunt. He's the state director up in Kentucky, extraordinary researcher. You know, we say we're getting older. We're trying to get some young people to train them and pass on our knowledge because, you know, we want to have, you know, young investigators out in the field like we've done because that's where all the good stuff happens. But, you know, in East Tennessee, there has been, oh, my God, that's incredible lot of cases over the mountains in those areas. Areas uh, up in Kentucky. Oh my goodness, I can't even. You know, that's yeah. Bears territory up there. But there, I mean, he is. Con- he's retired now, and he goes, Angel, not even retired because he is constantly busy. And you know, he's like me. He does a dual thing. You know, he's the director of MUFON, but his paranormal work is, you know keeping him totally busy. I mean, they help out people that are having, he has a priest up there that works with him. Great, great team. And they actually go in and, you know, try to help people that are having some negative things going on. So. Thanks. That's interesting. Well, one of the aspects about that case though, was I was going to say that there seems to be like a military abduction, like a my lab kind of aspect to it where you've got like almost, it seems that there's a, that the these voices are talking from like this little transcript that you put in the book that it seems that they're mm-hmm. that they're almost mm-hmm. like they're almost like abducting him for some kind of military experiment is what it seems well, like well you know that's again you know it it seemed to have those qualities for sure because this wasn't a happy thing um you know he was really traumatized i think i mentioned it in the book when you know we all went up to you know his section of the house and you know he had this really huge computer screen and he had been working with the audio too listening to it i'll never forget when we all sat down and he turned it on for the first time guys he had a palpable post-traumatic stress response he had dilated pupils you know he flushed his hands started shaking and he started sweating whatever happened to him something happened to him because you can't make that up you know he he responds and to this day he still responds to it not like he did but he still responds to that so yeah there there seemed to be you know these other components and then like i said these helicopters coming in one of them came in one day so close you know he was out there you know he kind of flipped him off and i said i'm not sure that's a good idea you know he's kind of a warrior and um you know, that's how close they were, you know, just kind of hovering over the property there. So you think, what what in the world is that? But, yeah, Tennessee, I, you know, I still have, even during this stressful time that we're in right now, I still have cases coming in, uh, you know, people seeing things. So um, well, we've been very busy. Well, let me ask you that. I mean, do you think in times of stress like we're going through right now, kind of like times of turmoil, that people will begin to see more? Of these type of things? Uh, well, in my experience, it's been less. People are really internally focused right now. You know, they're stressed about their jobs and their money. And, you know, the cases have definitely dropped off during this this time. Because usually we're, we're getting, I don't know, two or three a week. And I, I finally got two cases in in the last two weeks. And that's really under the number. Now, if we stay in quarantine longer, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, people are probably going get, to get bored and the weather oh, yeah. warms up, you know, people will go See, outside and start yeah. looking. But yeah. Like it's something I that happens more things- when people are like kind of just absent-minded or more relaxed or almost in a hypnagogic state that then these events take over. 
Yeah, there can, you know, I think sometimes not, but sometimes for sure. I mean, sometimes these things do impinge upon this reality spectrum. And then, you know, sometimes they don't, just like the beach party situation. So, you know, there's there's lots of different, you know, ways to change your state. So, you know, I just kind of, you know, you can't really, that's the thing where this is really complex in that I take each case, case by case. You know, I evaluate my witness, Did you know, I talk to them. First of all, I have to develop trust. I'm very sincere about that. Uh, I try to train, you know, especially, you know, there's different you know, women can handle things a little bit differently than men sometimes. And that's not good or bad. That's just reality. So some of my field investigators, I go, guys, listen, you know, I'm, I'm trying to tell you how to be successful here. I said, you know, if you can't make an emotional connection with these witnesses in a true one, because they can feel you, you're not going to get the good stuff. Right. I mean, that case about the transforming lights, another investigator had had that and called me and said, oh, nothing's going on here. And it was one of the best cases I ever had. And it was because they could not make, you know, an emotional connection and the person didn't trust them. And so guess what? They're not going to tell you that stuff. You know, they have to know they're going to, you know, I've never betrayed anyone. It's not about that. They have to know they can trust you. And then, you know, it, it helps them. They can give up the story and it actually really helps them because a lot of these people have been carrying this around for a long time and it weighs heavy on them. One another case that I wanted to talk about was where you called the place site number one and you actually were able to pick up like some like an entity in a field, you said, and the and you actually have pictures of this in the book. Oh, that's that's what I'm talking about, that what we ca captured in the floor camera. I mean, that was the entity yeah. that we captured from that. And man, that was guys, come on. I mean, it, you know, we could not see that with the naked eye, but it was clear as day on that floor. So that shows right there. It's, you know, just out of our visual spectrum to some degree, which most a lot of things are. You know, if you look at the electromagnetic spectrum, what humans can perceive is extraordinarily small. You know, if you go up the, the width of the spectrum there. So, you know, this thing, I'll never forget, Josh was on that, um, my assistant state director, that was one of his first field events. And I'll never forget the look on his face, how his eyes, you know, got so big, not in fear, but just in astonishment. He goes, Ange, we're really seeing this. I said, yeah, we're really seeing this. So that, you know, that's the being that was jumping around trying to get our attention. I mean, and, you know, we didn't feel any fear. I trust my fear. You know, I tell my team, I said, if you feel terrified, if you feel threatened, you get your behinds out of there, you know, but we didn't, you know, we felt like this was, you know, benign and, you know, just as curious about us as we were about it. And that whole field investigation, that's the one that's on my YouTube. It was just really interesting. I mean, um, there were two sites, the primary site, the second site, um, this young man took us over um, to um, a waterway, an estuary. And um, over there, they said they had spotted a lot of orbs, that kind of thing. So we set up the drone. It was a beautiful evening. It's probably afternoon. It was about 3.30 or 4, 70 degrees, really nice weather, no wind, clear sky. We took the drone up and put it down this waterway. And about 40 feet down, it started going into anti-collision mode. You know, it started saying, oh, it's, we're going to collide with something. Well, we could see it visually. There was nothing there. And then it started going, electromagnetic disturbance. Electro we had never, Josh looked at me, goes, I've never even seen it give this error. 
we didn't even know it had an error electromagnetic <laughs> disturbance. I mean, honest, you can't make it up. And for a little bit, if it wasn't for the skill of Josh uh, with that drone, we almost lost, you know, a two or three thousand dollar piece of equipment because we didn't think we were going to get it back. And we did. And then we had the compass spin there, you know, in certain areas, the compass would just spin. And then I went back and we all did our field work and I found a story and it's in the book of where a plane actually, a military plane actually crashed there. And one of the, the survivors, they talked to him and they thought they were way somewhere else, you know. I mean, that's really strange that they were that confused over land. Um, so, and they said to this day, they still pick up shrapnel in that area. So that was site number two. We stayed there, you know, did a, a an investigation there. Then we came back to the primary site, set up that night. You know, we waited till the phenomena usually started after 10, you know, usually. So we, ha- again, we were up all night. So we set up, you know, the floors and that's when we caught that entity out there in the woods. So. Yeah, that's well, uh, fascinating. In all these accounts, the importance of of state change you keep saying, and uh, the these experiences creating these transformations of the individuals, um, like you even said that they deal with the ones who successfully process it, you know, get deal with mm-hmm. this fear and move on. From from like an anthropological perspective, it really sounds like the. And I know I'm definitely not the first one to think of this, but the UFO experience as some kind of initiation, like that's the function that it has for a lot of these people. You know, um, of course, all of us, you know, researchers, we get together and talk about these philosophical things, you know, Um, and no one knows for sure. You know, I'm very humble about that. I, I tell people, if someone tells you they know for sure what's going on, run to the nearest exit. I've been doing this my whole life. Yeah. And I found a lot of great, wonderful patterns and interesting things. But, you know, it seems like the world is designed to wake us up. Uh, the whole world, you know, you know, whether it's a petty tyrant boss or, you know, a lot of people don't listen or you run in, you know, that my friend, Matt Delph, you know, he said, Ange, he said, I was just a good old boy, man. He said, he's, he said, you know, after that I studied, I, you know, um, Eric Mitchell's a friend of mine. He's, you know, one that, one of those things, uh, orbs struck him. He goes, Ange, I was one of those dumb butts and oh my God, you should hear this this man's vocabulary now. I mean, he's voracious about reading. So, you know, I think all these things, whether um, they do seem to have, you know, if you, like you said, you can, you know, trend, if you can integrate it and you can deal with your fear, which is hard guys, it's easy us sitting here talking about it. But when you're the one that, you know, these things are impinging on your life and you got to figure out how to deal with it, you know, hopefully without drugs and alcohol and, you know, you really have to metabolize all this fear. It's really something of a, a job to do, but the rewards are incredible. I mean, you know, I just, you know, people were transformed in so many things. I mean, that, you know, higher cognition, you know, higher sensitivity, you know, it changed their life. They, you know, go, they go, Ange, I'm a better person. You know, I'm much more sensitive, you know, to my fellow beings. And, you know, so I kind of think about if this whole world at large is out there, which I believe, um, you know, we have to earn our way in there. I mean, you know, you can't have the savages, you know, running amok. And so, you know, I think it's kind of a fair universe. I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of us, we study and meditate and get together and have talks like this, because in my book, it's sure worth it. I mean, 
you know, I, I'm a spiritual creature. I think God's been good to me. And man, my team, we have really gotten, you know, to see some incredible things with our own eyes, you know, not just a story. And when you see things like that, it really makes you appreciate the really incredible universe we live in because it's, it's pretty awesome. It truly is. Fascinating. It's very similar to the way someone that has like a near-death experience that they begin to, after that near-death experience, they change. So it's a very... Uh, I, no, it's exactly the same thing. That's what I'm saying. There's so many... pollination between them. Right. Yep. Yep. I mean, there's all different kinds of modalities, you know, um, that I think this can happen in. And it's just, you know, again, I've always just been so fascinated with the UFO phenomena because, you know, they, you know, um, you guys are, I don't know how much time we have left, but one of my favorite stories is I had a young man send me a video over in near Manchester and it was one of the clearest videos of a UFO I've ever seen. And I mean, it's so precious. He's got a big farm. You see this UFO? just flying the dogs are all barking and he goes well that's just not normal it's just so priceless i mean you can tell when people are not setting things up you know what i'm saying you're just yeah. like uh, you know and again i was struck by you know i say you get a good um detector on you after you do this after a while and i said we're going so we took the team over there and you know at first his little wife was pregnant and she was scared and you know they'd had some crazy things happen and so i said look guys let's just go to dinner we went and had a steak dinner and i treated him and i said you know let's just talk and i don't want anybody to be stressed out you know this is going to be fun even if nothing happens you know he was nervous nothing would happen so we got it we you know she warmed up and you know it's a bird off of them, you know, because they knew they could trust us. So we go back, we set the truck up. We usually, when a pasture situation, we take one of Don's big honking pickup trucks, thank God, and we put all the gear in there. We put chairs and that night we bought a little bottle of wine and, you know, we, we want to make it fun. And, you know, so we set up the whole camp and, you know, got all, we've got, you know, a thousand dollars worth of equipment, you know, there. And um, we're all sitting there, you know, just talking, nothing much going on. And about 1045 at night, we see this weird light. So we go, okay, everybody get up. Guys, I swear to God, this triangular craft came over our head and it stopped and it hovered mm. just like it knew we were there. And mm. we, at, at that time, a 747 went over the apex. So they cruise about 35, 37,000. So we could triangulate down to our bit, you know, we didn't know exactly how big it was, but we thought it was probably at least two or 3,000 feet. It wasn't high. It was so low, we could see ambient white light around the edge of this ship, like windows. And really? guys, do you think, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. We stood there. My whole team of professionals stood there with our mouth open. Do you think one person took a picture? Of course not. No, no, <laughs> not one. No. And so I said, "Woo!" I got taught a lesson that night in humility because you know some people would say they had these extraordinary things and didn't get a picture. And I went, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, to this day, Don Williams calls me at times and goes, "Why?" And that's been years ago. He goes, "Why did we not get a picture?" And, you know, when you're in that situation, I mean, we're scientists. I mean, we've been investigating and you have something so extraordinary happen like that. You you really are put into an altered state. We were in an altered state. We yeah. stood there with our mouth open and it hovered there, you know, for a good long time. 
finally, you know, went off. We all, the young man was jumping up and down. He goes, I told you, I told you, I told you. He was so happy. And then probably 25 minutes later, this again, we see another light. Probably was two football fields off, you know, around the perimeter of the pasture in the tr- on the tops of the trees. This light appears, and it looks like a welder's arc. And it just jumps at the top of the trees erratically. And we're all looking at each other like, what in the world is that? And it did that for 20 minutes, jumping around, going to this tree, going to that tree. We, we have no idea what that was. Like, no idea. So that's, you know, I'm trying to tease people out there about being true field investigators, because unless you're out, you don't see things like that. Yeah. The the whole picture aspect, that's that's a common thing across all this phenomenon, oh. that like people do oh. not get pictures. It's like, oh, it's almost didn't. like. It's almost like the phenomenon itself does not want you to take the picture. Want you to take a picture. I've thought about that because I'm telling you, it really bothered Don. I would be at work seeing patients and my phone would ring and I'd step out and he goes, he would only say this. He's a professional. Why did we not get a picture? I mean, for a month, it really disturbed him. And so you guys are going to laugh at this. Probably about six months ago, we got together and we were bored. And I said, you know what? Let's go over to that area. He goes, yeah, yeah, let's just go. And we went over by uh, a lake over there. You know, we couldn't get back to the original property, so we went over to by Lake Normandy, I think is what it is. And we found this really cool spot right above the dam that we could back the truck in. We weren't in anybody's way. You know, it was dark. It was a clear night. Again, we Don had like a thousand dollars worth of cameras, maybe more. They were around his neck, on his head. I mean, if something flew over that night, we were getting it, baby. So of course we sat there. I mean, we sat there for like four hours. Nothing happened. You know, we saw probably a high altitude military craft. You know, we saw some shooting stars. There were some guys partying down by the lake. And you know, we sat there in our. You got to imagine this. We're sitting in the back of the pickup truck in our lawn chairs with all of our gear spread around and you know nothing happened and that's what I tell people I mean that's mostly what happens but then this happened we got up and you know again we were probably two hours from home maybe three it was already midnight and he goes well you want to pack it in I said I don't want to but you know we got to so we get up and we start packing up the gear and all of a sudden guys there was this I can't even describe it 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 sounded technological i'll put it that way and it was this frequency tone and i thought oh my god did i leave one of my pieces of equipment on although i'd never heard that tone and what was so strange about this tone is we could not tell where it was coming from i don't know if you guys have ever you know our hearing is really good. You know, you usually can tell the source of a sound. We could not locate the source of the sound. So I just started ripping the bags back open because I thought, well, maybe that's my uh, magnetic field detector and the battery's low and it's, it wasn't anything. We couldn't, we were looking at each other. Finally, it stopped. You know, Don looked at me and he goes, man, that was, that was weird. And he is really grounded. I said, yeah, no. I said, We went through every piece of equipment in our bags and checked everything. Everything was off. Nothing was, you know, because sometimes some of our equipment, if it's low, it'll signal you. You know what I'm saying? Um, It wasn't anything. So we packed everything back up. 
And this pickup truck, you know, it's got that those small seats, you know, in the cab in the back. So mm-hmm. we didn't have to leave the, you know, the good stuff out in the bed of the truck. So, you know, we folded all the chairs up, put everything up, put the bag in the back of the truck. And guys, we're out in the middle of nowhere. You know, the GPS wasn't even working right. Do you know we got on this dirt road, we got lost for a little while, and that darn tone started again. I mean, we looked at each other. I mean, we're pretty grounded, you know. We It takes a lot to get us unsettled. But he goes, is this a precursor of an abduction? I go, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, we were we were trying to laugh it off, you know, just to kind of keep ourselves grounded. And we were lost for a little bit. And then finally the GPS kicked in and, and we got home okay. But, you know, again, that wasn't normal. That wasn't the truck. It wasn't our equipment. I mean, we didn't have our cell phones turned on. It wasn't the radio. So, and what's interesting, I talked to Deb Jordan after that, which you guys, if you don't aren't familiar with Bud Hopkins' book, Intruders, it was one of the first classics. Oh, yeah, it's um, a great she, book. Oh, my God, it's great. Deb was down at the house, and we were talking about it, and she said, Ange, I had something like that happen to me on one of my investigations, so there you go. And then, you know, there's other patterns and things that show up, you know, throughout when you talk to other investigators. So that that was pretty fun, other than we didn't get a picture of that original craft, because that thing was pretty incredible. Oh, and I remember Don kept going on because there was a beacon, a blood red beacon on the bottom of this thing that was probably two thirds the size of a fuselage. And when you study aircraft, at least known aircraft, you know, maybe it could be something super secret we have, but man, they were flaunting it if they if it was. You know, he goes, Ange, I've never seen a beacon that big. You know, that's why it's great to have, you know, such different talent pilots and engineers. He goes, that ratio of that beacon to the structure, you know, the actual total size of that aircraft, he goes, I'd never seen anything like that. So that that was pretty cool. Let me ask you about Bigfoot, Sasquatch, cryptids, and kind of like the relationship to UFOs, because you do go into this in the book a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Um, After I went to that Bigfoot conference, guys, I study constantly. Probably in three years, I exhausted, probably before that, the Bigfoot literature. I started out with Jeff Meldrum's work, which which is extraordinary in itself, you know, that he would, you know, you guys, I'm sure, are familiar with him and his book. If you hadn't read that book, read it. It's a it's an unbelievable read and a great scientific work. You know, he's um, <clears throat> an expert on primate, you know, the way they plant their foot, dermal ridges, you know, the right. evidence that, you know. And from there, I just went crazy. I read everything eclectic and otherwise, you know, scientific versus, you know, I have a Bigfoot in my backyard. I didn't care. I just I wanted all the perspectives. Um, and after reading that and, um, you know, talking to so many of my I love hunters, you know, you know, when you're standing in front of a six foot four guy that you can tell he's not afraid of anything. And this guy breaks down and says, you know, I will never go back to that place again. Um, And that's just one of many, you know, something is going on. They're not making that up. And I actually, I'm excited. I don't want to say who it is, but there's a big researcher up in Canada that um, he's done some extraordinary work and you know he didn't know me and I actually wrote him an email the other day and he wrote me right back and he goes oh my god we have to talk because you know he's you know what I say is if you're a true boots on the ground investigator you're going to come to the same conclusions because they're the same things happening to all of us you know I say if you draw a circle and if you're a ghost hunter, paranormal hunter, UFO hunter, Bigfoot hunter it doesn't matter where you go in the circle all the stuff starts happening to you 
it doesn't matter where you enter. If you enter at UFOs, right. then you get paranormal stuff. If you enter right. at paranormal, you well get said. UFOs. You know, it doesn't matter where you enter that circle. And so with his work, you know, he's starting to have all these strange things. You know, they act interdimensional. I don't, you know, and I use that word lightly just because I don't know what other word to use. You know, it's like a lot of these true researchers that you don't hear a lot about. They say when you start studying it, it starts studying you. It follows you home. It doesn't matter if you're in a neighborhood. Um, I mean, you know, I've been, you know, working with, you know, I've been introducing myself to some of these other researchers researchers because I go, guys, you know, years ago, the UFO people thought the paranormal people were woo-woo and the paranormal people thought the, you know, the scientific people were too, you know, there was all this kind of, you know, not joining together. And so one thing I've been really working hard on is, you know, going after some of these other teams that are grounded, not into the drama, not into this fighting. You know, I don't have time for any of that. I'm too busy. Um, And man, I said, guys, if we can work together you know, we're going to have so much more information. So at this point, for this girl to tell you that, yeah, there's something going on there, there's something going on there. I mean, I've spoken to too many people. My best friend, Matt Delf, he's he's got the highest integrity of any person I've ever known. They're not lying. And so you think, how can you not be interested in that? I mean, this person has got unbelievable vocalizations, um, talking to him, saying his name, um, and then, you know, just strange things happening, like, you know, showing things showing up in their homes and uh, gifts showing back into their homes, and like, how did that yep. happen, you know, how did, you know, how did this get in here, I mean, that just shows us that, you know, that our world is just so much more complex than, you know, than we have ever been taught. And we're part of that world. So that means we're a lot more complex. We may not, we might be afraid of it, you know, and I understand why, you know, uh, and we might be hesitant, you know, to go there, but, you know, it's worth looking into. You know, I had some people say, Ange, you know, maybe some of this should be left alone. I said, well, you know what, guys, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you my opinion about it. You know, I'm an outdoors girl and I would not go stick my hand down in a hole full of rattlesnakes because I've learned about rattlesnakes and they're, you know, you should leave them alone. Well, that doesn't mean the whole world is rattlesnakes. There's bunnies and horses and everything else cool out there. So when you're studying this stuff, you have to have a degree of discernment. You know, there are negative dark things just like there are in our world. Well, you learn to stay the heck away from that. Don't fool with that. You know, don't dig into that. But there's so many other wonderful things to go look at that you shouldn't turn it all off for that. I mean, humanity would have never gotten anywhere if we, you know, the great adventurers <laughs> had that attitude. Right. So, so yeah, I, you know, I'm kind of getting into that. Like I said, um, I have a team of paramilitary guys down um, in Georgia and Alabama that I met, and they're just Oh, my God. You know, they're awesome. I'm just such a different girl. Um, you know, for Christmas, like- I got it. I got a new AR and, a, you know, um, <laughs> I got new IR field glasses and I was thrilled. But, you know, they've <laughs> invited me on some of their um, expeditions where they've had some extra. I'm not at liberty to say yet, but they've had some extraordinary things happen to them. And I cannot wait to go work with them. I think they're it's you know, they're very strict. We have protocols. We have rules. This just isn't, you know, a hullabaloo, as they say. No one goes alone. You always have a partner and we're setting up, you know, different experiments. Um, 
I actually was working with a plasma physicist, and he was so kind from a university to answer some questions for me because we're trying to set up actual true experiments so we can replicate some of these things, as you say, whether it's state right. changes. Um, you know, there's one thing that's really interesting that I've been studying because I have found in my own research there's a correlate to some of these high paranormal events during high magnetic storms or solar flares, especially solar flares. And so I always watch for solar flares and then watch for the patterns that, you know, come about with that. Well, when I talked to this plasma physicist, the reason I got onto him is he had written all these articles. He'd done this great research. And again, I am not a plasma physicist, but he had actually been able to prove um, almost like an electron tunneling effect, meaning, you know, passing what we would call if we had, you know, it's not the right scientific word, but like a portal, you know, these electrons were actually moving it in and out of, you know, a certain spatial continuum. And so I was talking to him about that. And, I, and he said, Ange, these are happening during solar flares. And when the magnetic field strength goes to zero, that was important. I told all my guys down there, they go, Ange, oh my God, instead of looking for a magnetic field fluctuation, we're going to start to look at dead zones. I said, exactly. And then set up for a solar, you know, a solar flare, if we can, you know, have any that are predictable. Um, so we're actually trying to go after it in different ways. You know, you can't keep looking at things in the same way. You know, use every tool at your disposal. You know, I use certain psychics on certain um, situations, events that I have because they're, you know, their knowledge is, in, you know, invaluable. If something is going on in their spectrum, I call them in there. You know, if we need to use hard scientific tools, that's what we use. You know, we don't use, we don't leave anything out. And man, that has worked really well. <laughs> you know, I mean, when you go in there with every thing that you got going, you got a good diverse team, people are being observant. You know, I tell them that they go, and your team is so diverse. Do you have a problem? I said, no, because I don't put up with that. I'm a strict leader as far as that stuff goes. I said, you know, I choose my people. We're professional. There's no bickering. There's no arguing. You know, what, you know, possibly Adam, you would see and I would miss and vice versa. That's where a team is really important. Right. We go in, we do our job. You know, this person is looking at this from a military, an engineer. I'm looking at it from my perspective. You know, um, I really, I really enjoy talking to people and I can make these deep connections and, you know, um, get people to open up about things and feel safe about it and take care of them. So we're all using our skill sets, you know, in different ways. So, um, I'm excited. I, you know, I know we're in a stressful time now. I feel like, you know, that's going to pass. This too shall pass. We're all going to be okay. And I can't wait to get back out there, you know, and, you know, get back to it. So, and yeah, I'm I really can, looking forward imagine. to this new person. Yeah. That I'm going to work with. So I'll, you know, if you guys ever want me back, I'll keep you posted on what's happening. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 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 The paramilitary Bigfoot team. That sounds really interesting. Oh, they're awesome. Ex-military police, you know, military police officers. I mean, oh my gosh, guys, you would, you know, you would laugh at me being a girl here. I mean, we've got our walkie-talkie set on certain frequencies and we have all these protocols. <laughs> I've never been in the military, but now I kind of feel like I have been because I'm getting an education on, you know, how we're going to handle stuff. And I love it. I mean, I what, love it. What's their, what's their goal? Is Are they are they trying to like actually hunt Bigfoot? Are they trying to get a body or are they trying to just get no, just gather no, evidence? No, we're not. No, 
no, no, no. I'm not, you know, if something attacks me, I'm going to protect myself. We're all heavily I gotcha. <laughs> into protection. I'm going to put it that way, okay? I'm not dumb. My team, we protect ourselves. We have been, you know, this is not for the faint of heart, and it's not a game. I've, I've had lectures, you know, with people, oh, I just want to start a paranormal team. I go, guys, uh, this isn't a joke. You know, if you call something up, you're not going to be happy because something will probably come. Um, you're not going to be happy with what I've seen people, families destroyed over this. So it's not a game. Yeah. So, you know, you, gotta you be have careful. to be, gotta be careful and you got to be prepared. And so, you know, we're, uh, you know, right now they're having the same kind of crossover events. You know, they're having, they've seen orbs, they've seen, you know, UFO lights, they've had what they feel are, you know, some possible Bigfoot things. And then, just like my little picture that's in the book of that entity, that I have no idea what that is. They've had things like that come up on their floor. They had, really? they showed me a video that, I'll share this, they shared a video that, I mean, they're all, <laughs> we're all sitting, they're all sitting there in their camo. I love it. You know, we all, I just love it because we're, you know, we're out there all night long. And you know what, people, I want to tell the truth about it. I mean, I had to go shop for snake guards because people have been snake bit so many times down where we were. So that's how you have to prepare. I mean, you know, in that kind of weather, you have to make sure you have all your legs protected, you know, that something can't bite through your pants. And oh my goodness. So we're all out there and they were out there, not me at this one. And they swept around with one of the fleurs, and it shows, like, three entities, like, just move up. And you see them move up in the trees, and the one on the end turns around and moves off at such a speed, nothing could do that. No animal. I've never seen anything move like that. I've never seen anything. And for me to say that, that's a lot. I've never seen anything move like that. And just... You know, again, you have to study, you know, eclectically across all these boundaries. But talking to this Bigfoot researcher up north, they were, uh, he brought in another researcher. He did a video and they were talking about that when you're out in the field and you actually experience this, you can't help having fear. They said that this being that moved in on them, which they thought was a Sasquatch, Bigfoot, that it moved in and moved away from them so fast that there's no way you could run from it. If it wanted to, and you could, they said it, it was like a bull. It was so huge, charging in, tapped one of them, tapped one of the females on the ear very gently, and then Ooh. flashed off, you know. Um, and they go, sure. we, you know, <laughs> we held it together, you know, we were calm, we weren't going to run, you know. Um, but wow, I mean, come on. I mean, that was, that was pretty extraordinary. And that's why, just like you said, you have to kind of, evaluate each situation that you get in and, you know, decide whether is this a good place for me to be or not such a good place for me to be. Right. Right. Sophia, was there anything else did you wanted to ask? No, there's just so much, so many great cases in this book and the emphasis on the high strangeness, you know, we really dig and the way that it, you know, connects to all this other phenomenon. It's, it's right up our alley. Well, I'm so glad you guys enjoyed it. I really appreciate you having me on. And as you can tell, I hate talking about this stuff. <laughs> no, I, love, I, I love this stuff. So, and um, I really appreciate you guys having me on. You were great. Yeah. I mean, I really, yeah. you had some wonderful questions. I really appreciate that very Thank much. You. Thank you. Um, where, wh what's next for you? Where can people get the book? Um, 
you can you can get the book on Amazon. I have it there in paperback and Kindle. And a lot of people have been writing me and want a signed copy. And if you want that, then all you have to do is just go to my website, which is angeliashear.com. And um, you can order one there and just let me know how you want it signed and I'll send it off to you. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you, Angelia. Thank you for coming on. This has been great. I'd love to have you back. Maybe we can get some of the paramilitary Bigfoot team on with you, too. <laughs> I would love to. I'll be talking to those guys soon. Yeah. And some of my teams, up. I have a team up in Kentucky that have invited me a few times. And it just, you know, we have to camp out for days. So it just, the timing hasn't worked out, but it will. So I really appreciate you guys having me on. And I look forward to, you know, you guys were awesome. And again, great questions. And I look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. All right. Uh, stay on the line for us. We're going to close out this section. And guys, we'll be back to close out the show, like I always say, on Conspiracy Normal. All right, let's do it. So that was a very good interview with Angelia Shear. I was uh, pretty impressed by that. Um, she yeah. she loves talking about this subject, and she really got really animated. And this is cool. yeah, this is like a really good show, man. I, I was really um, really happy to have her and on the show. And it, uh, you know, it's like I said, it took you like she said uh, after we. Uh, ended i mean it kind of took take everybody's mind off of it and that's kind of what we're trying to do at this point to take people's yeah. minds off what's going on in the world and you know try to be an escape and i the like the last episode with uh tom and jenny uh people said that they really enjoyed it that they really needed a laugh and that's i think great. that that's yeah you know, i think that that's like the best thing that we can do right now is try to give people like an escape from what is going on and and even though it's like it's real hard because like it's been just the like the news has obviously been dominated by the virus and everything that's happening and everybody's mind is on that and it's hard to get your mind on it but we're tr off of it but we're trying to really hard just kind of like not not talk about it too much even though there is stuff to really talk about with it but uh we did a patreon episode yeah so yeah. that will be up uh well probably before this one that is uh, definitely a distraction to take your mind off of what's going on <laughs> yeah no doubt no doubt we talked about uh echo the dolphin and, and we uh, had we, we had a reunion of sorts also yeah we did we had a couple of uh, special guest appearances that are also uh, doing their own kind of social distancing and as you guys still have noticed, we are not in the studio at the moment, but uh, it seems to be working out pretty well over Skype yeah, yeah. so far. We're, um, we're figuring it out. This should sound better than the last one, and the next right. one will still sound better, probably. Right. It's just a just a learning process. And speaking of Patreon, uh, we Patreon is still there. If you guys want to support what we're doing, it is as low as a dollar. We know it's hard times right now. But if you guys want to throw some a little bit our way, you can get some extra content to maybe take your minds off the of things that are going on as well. So is there anything else that you wanted to add, Sergio? 
Well, not really. Uh, it's just great. It, it was really great to get that that local flavor to this episode and no doubt some of these cases based in Tennessee. Um, so I really appreciated that. And, uh, it's, it's cool to have such a cool director for Tennessee move on. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. She's great. She's great. She's really, um, she's really gracious and she's really a nice person. Uh, we met her at the alien expo. Um, and she was one of the persons that I actually wanted to see speak there. Um, but when she did her presentation, we were like, this is like totally right up our alley. Yeah. So um, we, w- I waited to get her on till the book was out. And um, she's, I've gone to one of the MUFON meetings, talked to her. I passed out uh, flyers for the uh, Strange Realities Conference there for the first one. So... And, and guys, as of right now, we're still looking at doing Strange Realities 2020. Um, we're still looking at, at it happening and that it occurring. Um, but for the moment, we're not entirely sure what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. just stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned we're to this to this podcast, and we will let you know. So. I think that's it, guys. Um, I think after we wrap up here, too, we're going to actually play some of that audio uh, from that case that Angelia was talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So stay yeah. tuned to that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll definitely uh, listen to that as well. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and we will be back next time on Conspiranormal. Please consider becoming a Patreon at www.patreon.com slash conspiranormal or leave a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. And please check out our YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.